0: Well, we are in the final week of a 10-week sermon series called The Forgotten Ways. And it's been quite a journey through everything so far. So we thought we'd start our message today with a short summary of all of these interconnected markers and the icons that represent them. We've been following the people of Israel as they were freed from slavery in Egypt to follow God's call into the unknown of the wilderness based on their trust in the promise of God to become his chosen people, to bless the whole world. And so we, the church, who are the successors to that story, we are told that we are to be the light on a hill that shows the world who God is and declares the message of hope that is in God's story. The birth, the life, the suffering, the death, and especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God made human. And so these markers are meant to illustrate what is a healthy missional church. What does that look like? A healthy church, one that is pursuing Christ. And a missional church, one that is pursuing what God finds important, what God prioritizes, God's mission. And so our first marker is central. It is the centrality of the word of God. That is our core. If, if the word is how God reveals himself to us, then God's word namely Jesus and the scriptures that reveal him must be at the heart of everything and since Jesus is also called the light of the world icon for this first marker is the sun now our second marker is a leaf the icon is a leaf because a leaf takes what the sun offers to grow to transform And so it's appropriate that our second mark is the life-transforming walk with Jesus. And we learn that sharing our stories of what God has done in our lives and how he's still transforming us helps us in that life-transforming walk. And then in our third week, we learn that we are to become good news people, that God is transforming us for a purpose, for a reason, and that our transformed lives and, when necessary, our words... Can be the mouthpiece through which God speaks to the world. And so, our icon for marker number three is a microphone. Now, I've actually had people ask me if that's a loaf of bread going into a cup. That's a microphone. If we are people whose presence and actions are to be good news, it means that we have to have good relationships with one another. We are connected. And so the way we relate to one another is a mirror of how we relate to God. The world will know Christ because of how the world sees us love one another. And so mark number four, the compelling Christian community, is illustrated as a network. In week five, we came to the hub, the, the box that contains all of the markers. Jesus is Lord. And so while Jesus, the word of God, who is revealed in the scriptures, while Jesus is at the center, our core, worship is how people respond to the mercy that Jesus, the king of kings, can offer. And because Jesus is king, our icon for heartfelt worship is a crown, symbolizing the one to whom all of us must strive to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. But since Jesus is king, All are called, all are invited, even pursued by God to become his people. And so Jesus sent the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whose power fuels and sustains the mission of God to be God's witnesses to every people, every nation, every tribe on earth. The church on God's mission has a global perspective. A missiologist named Emil Brunner wrote that a church exists through mission the way that a fire exists by burning. And so our icon for this marker is a flame, which represents both the mission of God and the Holy Spirit that powers it. Since all are called then, all are offered God's compassion. All, of God, uh, all are offered God's mercy. All are offered God's justice. These are core traits of who God is and who we are called to imitate. We are called to be people who extend God's mercy and compassion and justice to all, regardless of creed, gender, nationality, ethnicity, etc. God has a deep compassion for the widow, the orphan, the refugee, the immigrant. And so as God offers this peace to all of us, our icon for compassion, mercy, and justice is the olive branch, a symbol of peace. Which just goes to show you that our God is a generous God. God is creator, the one to whom everything belongs. And so God is a God of abundance. And just as God has poured out that abundance most visibly in the pouring out of the life and death of his son Jesus. And then in the pouring out of the spirit to power the mission of the church. The church then imitates that. By coming together to pour ourselves out as living sacrifices. We make ourselves and our resources available for service whenever and wherever it's needed. And so our icon for sacrificial and generous living is the amphora. The urn that is filled so that it can then be poured out uh, for the sake of others. And finally today, we come to our final marker, which is actually two markers in one. If you go onto the website to look at the missional markers, there's actually ten. The mission of God is given to all God's people, what what Paul called the priesthood of all believers. And so these last two markers are so interconnected that we chose to represent them with one icon, the compass. Now a compass points in a reliable direction so that we can get where we need to go. These icons describe leaders who imitate God, who responded to God's call to equip and empower this compelling Christian community and who are then to facilitate structures for the organization of that church to bear good fruit so that more people in more places and in all times may come to a new relationship with God the Creator and King and then grow in that relationship. And so the last two marks of a healthy missional church are a church with a culture of godly leadership and a church with fruitful organizational structures.
1: This morning we're identifying the ninth healthy missional marker. There are sermon notes on the back of your worship folder if you'd like to participate and follow along. A healthy and missional church has a culture of godly leadership. And I'd like to read a text for us first and make just a few few brief comments about it. If you turn in your Pew Bible, your Pew Bible, to page 72, Exodus chapter 18, beginning with verse 13, the words will not be on the screen. I wanted us to get into the Bible this morning, the actual Bible itself page 72. Listen to what is read, written there by um, Moses in beginning in verse 13. Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said to him, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him because the people come to me to seek God's will whenever they have a dispute it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and God's laws Moses' father-in-law replied what you are doing is not good you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out the work is too heavy for you you cannot handle it alone listen to me and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and laws. Show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. In other words, how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring very difficult cases to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. The end of the reading. Some key words in relation to each other. First, teach them, show them. That's the original show and tell. Except it's in reverse order. Tell them by teaching them and then show them how that's lived out. Second, select and appoint. Select people to do this work. Choose people to do this work. But then appoint them, meaning give them not only the responsibility, give them the authority to do the task. Third key words, if you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and the people will go home satisfied. Stand the strain, go home satisfied. You will be okay in doing this because it's shared. The people will be blessed because they won't be standing in line all day long just waiting for you. It will be done and they will go home satisfied. And then the key words of all, Moses listened, listened, And did. He listened to what his father-in-law said. Smart man. And he did what he said. Before we dive into the second text, the text of the sermon this morning, would you pray with me? Holy Father, rain down your truth, rain down your grace, rain down your encouragement, rain down your help for us to be a church of great vitality, rain down your Holy Spirit, and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. The second text is found on page 1194, Hebrews 13, 1 through 7. Much shorter than the first one. I will say a few more things about it than the last. Beginning in verse 1 of Hebrews 13. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all sexual immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you Never will I forsake you, end quote from Deuteronomy thirty one, six. So we say with confidence, quote, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? End quote. Psalm one eighteen, six and seven. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. This is God's holy and true word. I want to unpack Hebrews 13, 1 to 6 for us, which are the marks of of God's culture. Culture is an amazing thing. It's something we all have, and sometimes we don't even recognize what it is. I was on a mission to Kenya many years ago with a group from the church down in Easton, Connecticut. We were asked to come over there to help the pastors who were dealing with the whole issue of AIDS, which was just exploding at the time, to speak to them about proper relationships with one another, and to speak against something in their culture where the the shaman, the butch doctors, were telling the men, if you want to get rid of AIDS, you need to have sex with a 13-year-old virgin. That was common practice in parts of Kenya. So the Kenyan culture had a problem. American culture is pretty good. Do we have a problem? You watch it every night on TV, if you go to the movies or you get Netflix, you discover we have a problem. No human culture has it all together. None. And so I went over to do a teaching campaign while I was there, talking about culture, but talking about the Christian culture. Not shooting down the Kenyan culture, but saying it has to be subordinate to the culture of Christ if you claim to be a follower of Christ. But also to speak The American culture has to be subordinate to Christ if in America you call yourself a Christian. We're to follow Christ first. We're to be willing to stand up against the culture where it's doing things that are inappropriate, non-biblical, non-led by God. And let's face it, we have enough trouble following God who have God, we can't expect people who don't have God to be able to live up to the standards of the Scriptures. We need all the help we can get. And we have God with us. We have the spirit indwelling in us. We have the scriptures to teach us. So this is a very important topic for us to consider when we talk about leadership and a culture that God has provided for us to live in. And this text begins to unwrap for us what that culture is meant to look like. First, we're to unpack Hebrews 13, to six and recognizing that it says, love family. Keep on loving each other as brothers, Hebrews thirteen one, In John chapter 13, Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet to show them the type of leadership they were to exhibit, which was his leadership style, servant leadership. He then predicted immediately afterwards that Peter would deny him three times before the morning came, which absolutely stunned Peter. Peter The aggressive one, the eager one, the heartfelt one, the one who kept putting his foot in his mouth all the time. I love this guy. So great. And he's been told he will deny Jesus, whom he loves dearly, three times before the sunrise. All the rest of the disciples, that's all they were focusing on as well, because they were stunned by it too. Jesus told them in that moment that there would be one who would betray him. They didn't hear this because they were all thinking about what had just been said to Peter. But the betrayer heard, and he left to complete his task. It was after Judas left that Jesus said these words, and I quote, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The standard for the disciples of Jesus is to be known by how they love each other. That's the distinguishing mark of the family of God, the culture of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is extremely important. It's not that they love the scripture, though they do, as do we. It's not that they love Jesus, though they certainly did, and so do we. It's not that they love God, though they did, and so do we. It's that they love one another, Do you know that? That's the test. You see, you and I are a greater test for love than the Scripture or Jesus or God. You see, unlike the Scripture, Jesus and God, we are not perfect. So to love each other takes more. And that's what Jesus wants to produce in us. In the midst of our differences, in the midst of the things that we hold very dearly that are completely different from our neighbor, in the, in the difference we have politically, in the difference we have about lots of issues in life, it's loving each other that's the key. Can we do that even though we're different? Can Red Sox fans love Yankees fans? And that's not the hardest test going. Can Democrats love Republicans and Republicans love Democrats? That's as political as I'm going to get. But that's the test. Can we even talk? Is Thanksgiving something you're looking forward to? Or is that person coming to Thanksgiving? And if you don't have that person coming to Thanksgiving, maybe you're that person. Just a thought. It does work that way, you know. The test of our life is how we love one another because of Jesus Christ. That has to be the priority. And that's the ultimate test that Jesus raises up through the writer of Hebrews in verse 1. A second thing he says in this culture. Entertain strangers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. In other words, be hospitable. Hebrews 13.2 It was when people made a space and a place for Jesus that he could do great things with them. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had Jesus to their house many times. Almost every time he came to Jerusalem, that's where he stayed. They welcomed him in their home. And it was Lazarus who was raised from the dead. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to see Jesus when he came through town. Jesus invited himself over for dinner and he welcomed him to come. And because of that gathering, that that hospitality being shown, people who were cheated became compensated. Good things happen when we entertain people. The penitent thief on the cross opened up his life to Jesus prior to his death. And what did he get? Paradise. You can't get any better than paradise. Jesus made space and place all the time. He was attentive to people everywhere. He stopped to listen, to care, to heal, to restore, to encourage, to love on. That was what he did. And that's what he calls his followers to do by entertaining strangers. One of the greatest stories he ever told is the story of, of the good Samaritan who found a wounded, bruised, battered traveler and made a space and a place for him and provided for him so he could become well and whole again. He was hospitable to him. Open your space. Open your place for others. Be hospitable. Entertain strangers here at church. We used to call this down in Easton where I served for 19 years. We used to call it the five-minute rule. The first five minutes after church, make sure you speak to people you don't know. Don't just speak to those you're related to or that you see every week. Become entertaining to people get acquainted with them connect with them that's how the church of jesus christ grows that's what jesus wants from us and by us in the culture called christianity number 3 identify with prisoners remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners hebrews 13:3 in matthew 25 jesus is speaking with disciples about the last days and he says there'll be a separation He's not pleased about it, but it's a reality. To those who will join Jesus in the kingdom of heaven, he says, among other things, I was in prison, you came to visit me. Matthew 25, 36. And to those who will not join Jesus in the kingdom of heaven, about which he was very sad, he said, among other things, I was in prison and you did not look after me. Matthew 25, 43. And to identify with prisoners is more than just visiting people who are locked up in jail. There's a lot of other prisons prisons that we've all been in. It isn't hard to grasp when you think about it. We've all been imprisoned by sickness, by sadness, by failure, by sin, by tradition, and I could go on a long time. These are things that isolate us. These are things that hold us down. These are things that cause us not to live with vitality, the fullness of life that God has given to us. We can identify with prisoners. Many things lock us up and keep us from being and doing all that God intends. We may not have the same exact experience as someone else, but we all have similar experiences. Let us never forget that Christ has set us free and we are to be free indeed, and we are to be a people who bring freedom to others, helping to set them free from what imprisons them, whatever it might be. Number four, in the culture of Christianity, we're to honor marriage. Marriage should be honored by all, Hebrews 13, 4. Throughout the Bible, marriage is honored. Granted, marriage fidelity is always, it seems like, violated by people's behaviors, but God calls us to honor it. And Jesus takes it even further. He refers to his followers, to people who claim to be Christian. He refers to the church as his bride. He not only honors marriage, he says, that's what we have, folks. That's what I, the son of the living God, bring to you. I am your groom. I take you as my bride. Will you be my bride? Paul instructs men to love their wives like Jesus loves his church, sacrificing for her. And men, women don't listen. Men, just men. If we would do that, marriage would be no problem anywhere. I wouldn't have to do any marriage counseling because we'd be doing exactly what the Christ told us to do to love on our wives and sacrifice for them. Instead of reading the part where it says, wives be subject to your husband and saying to my, it's like me saying to my wife, honey, you're supposed to obey me. So just get over it and do what I say. Does that work? It may work for a moment, but it's totally unsustainable and it's not the scriptural way marriage is to operate. We're to be men, we're to be like Jesus Christ himself to our wives. Let's make life better for them, guys. Let's help each other do that. Is that okay with you, women? There's a couple nods and a couple of you're kind of looking at me. Go, what in the world are you doing? On the other hand, he says, "Wives, respect and honor your husbands." I have a very good couple friend that live up in New Brunswick, Canada. And he was a, when I was down in Easton, he was a a non-believer, but came to church because he liked to hang out with me. He and I were good buddies. He was a crusty guy, about 10 years younger than me. And just as crusty as they come. I loved him. We had so much fun together. And uh, his wife was, I first, when I first met her, I said to Carolyn, this woman is a Pollyanna. I mean, I've never met a Pollyanna in real life before. She's it but it's genuine. She was genuine. She loved that man into the kingdom. He was good to her. He didn't do any harm to her, but he didn't follow her way of life until she lived before him for almost 20 years as a follower of Jesus. Heartfelt for him. Now he's vibrant, he's alive, he's walking the vitality pathway. It's wonderful to see them happy. We visit them at least once a year just because we enjoy being with them and watching the fruit of our time together. She loved him into the kingdom. The most significant thing Paul writes to husbands and wives is this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you revere Christ, You are subject to each other, submit to each other, care for each other, support each other. Someone asked my wife today how it was for her shoveling out. She said it was just fine. Craig did it. That's how it works in our family. And there's so many things she does for me. It's a wonderful relationship as a result. And it's now we're working on our fifty first year. She's a saint. You'll get to know me. I need a saint in my life. Honor marriage. Number five, be content with life. Be content with what you have, Hebrews thirteen five. The last of the Ten Commandments is about contentment. People struggle with wants, desires, obsessions, compulsions, addictions, and I could go on. Everyone struggles to some degree. Some people struggle to a significant degree. And often our lack of contentment is about things, stuff. Paul writes about this, but says it's more than just stuff. It's about also circumstances. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Contentment, my friends, is a gift from God. And it's the knowledge that we truly have God in our life. His grace is meant to be sufficient. It's when we're in content with that generosity of our stuff and with our life is possible. When we're content with generosity, our stuff and our life is possible to be given away. It's when we're content that life can be truly enjoyed because we're not striving. Striving is the stress producer in most people's lives. When we're content, the distractions are removed, we can fully serve and love God. We are free from those things that hold us back and hold us down. That's the culture that God wants in us. Let me add to it only unpacking Hebrews 13.7. Godly followers are to imitate Christ and the people of faith before us. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. First, remember them. Remember them by name and by action. Noah believed God built an ark. Abraham believed God left home, believed God Isaac was born, believed God was willing to sacrifice Isaac as God had commanded Moses believed God led the Israelites to the promised land. Rahab, by faith, welcomed and hid the Israeli spies. Joshua, by faith, marched around the city of Jericho. And on and on the list of names go. For me in my life, it's Vince Swanson. He didn't make the Bible. He was born much later. Vince was my junior high Sunday school teacher. He was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't an athlete. Although we played some sports together, we killed him. He didn't have a chance. But I mattered to him and all my buddies mattered to him. Vince Swanson believed that this junior high class of boys were people that mattered to him and he did everything he could to connect us with God and with each other. I remember him by name and by action. Consider the outcome of their way of life because they overcome People who truly follow God. Noah, his family and humanity was saved. Abraham, he came to the promised land and Isaac was saved from death. Moses brought people out of slavery in Egypt. It was a success. Joshua had victory over Jericho. Rahab was saved by her obedience. And all the names listed in the 11th chapter of Hebrews were commended for their faith. They overcame great difficulty. Vince Swanson was a happy content man, well respected by a whole generation of boys. He never was chair of the church. He never was Sunday school superintendent. He never had any position of leadership in the church, except he led a whole generation of junior high boys to faith in Christ and love for the church and for each other. He was my hero. I wouldn't have been become a follower of Jesus if it wasn't for Vince Swanson in my life growing up, long before I received Christ. And thirdly, it says, imitate their faith by being obedient to God. Vince was, with Noah, do what God asks. With Abraham, go where God directs. With Moses, lead where God leads. Joshua, obey even a strange request regarding a military campaign in Jericho. Rahab, risk doing good for God's people. And numerous names of people obey God no matter the cost. that's the culture of Christianity it's interesting to me that today we have the cloud you familiar with the cloud at least you've heard the name the cloud it contains an incredible amount of data that we apparently can retrieve at the push of a button how many of you have things in the cloud how many of you have no idea what I'm talking about Hebrews 11 and 12 are the original cloud. It's the cloud of witnesses, the great storehouse of faith. These are the early ones, the early examples, the pioneers, the models of faith that we're to imitate. It is in the context of Hebrews 11 that the writer tells us to remember their names, remember their deeds, and then instructs us to imitate their lives. And finally, The scriptures tell us that the way to serve is to do so, the way to lead is to do so by serving. I'm going to leave it at that and skip to the conclusion. It was in the late 1800s, before any of us were born. A large group of European pastors came to one of D.L. Moody's Northfield Bible Conferences. And following the European custom of the time, each guest put his shoes outside his room to be cleaned by the hall servants overnight. There was a problem. This was America. And there are no hall servants in America, in Norfield. Moody saw the shoes later that night. Determined not to embarrass his brothers, he mentioned the need to some ministerial students who were there, but... He was met with deer-in-the-headlight eyes and silence. Moody returned to the dorm. He gathered up all the shoes himself and alone in his room began to clean and polish each pair. Only the unexpected arrival of a friend revealed the secret of Moody's late-night work. When the European visitors opened their doors the next morning, their shoes were there and they were shined. They never knew by whom. Moody told no one, but his friend told a few people. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this story. I am convinced that one of the reasons God used D.L. Moody in such a powerful way was because he was a man with a servant's heart. He had the genuine heart of Jesus, a powerful leader, but his greatness was in serving. Moody was a responsive follower. He became a responsible leader. May it be so with each of us and all of us and this church, even if what we're called to do is simply polish shoes. If that's what God wants, I'm for it. Amen. Let us pray. Holy Father, as we seek to walk the pathway of vitality in a world that is so sadly broken and divided, please help us to walk against the currents of despair. Help us, to take up the, help us not to take up the responses of anger. Teach us to walk as people of the light, people who love, people who demonstrate what it means to really follow Jesus. Help us to help one another live into your culture for vitality. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.